please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, reading from Isaiah 9, uh, 2 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, all right, good morning. Merry Christmas, 11.15. Wow, that was better than the first gathering. Um, you know, it's November. Derek was talking, can you say Merry Christmas in November? I mean, when does Christmas start? You know, like when has it officially happened? Yesterday, I was at the fire station, and Saturday's our bay day. Like, we spend about two hours. I mean, we got a big thing. We're getting cobwebs off the ceiling. We're cleaning all the racks. We're hand mopping the whole bay. And we got music going on in there, you know, because you got to make this kind of fun. Uh, and it's usually country music because rednecks are mostly fire, uh, yeah, firemen are mostly rednecks. Well, we had Christmas musics on there. We literally did the bay and started hanging Christmas lights and putting wreaths on the front of the fire truck. Well, this older guy, Jonathan, I've been working with a long time, he went over and he's like, it's not Christmas. You can't listen to Christmas music in November. And he walks over and changes it. Well, it started into a big fight. Like, who, when is it Christmas? I said, or Christmas starts when you put the very last bite of turkey in your mouth and you're chewing it. It's like, bam, joy to the world. That's it. It's at the end. He totally disagreed. Well, he lost, and they just called him Jim Carrey for the rest of the day because he was the Grinch. I thought that was pretty funny. They called him a lot of other mean things, too. That's just the only one I'm allowed to say up here. Uh, but it's Christmas. I mean, I have been preaching and teaching and talking for over two years now at OCC uh, with my buddy, and I have said a lot of things up here. Like, I've been intense. I've cried. <laughs> I have to mention it every time. Um, but I mean, I, you know, you think there's some th things I've said that may have stirred some people up. Nothing has caused me more grief than the time I stood up here and said I didn't like Christmas. People were literally like, what did, what did he just say? He doesn't like Christmas? This guy's a weirdo. He's a heathen. Don't listen to him. Christmas is awesome. And I was like, no, it's not that I hate Christmas. I don't like Christmas because I have 14 kids I only have four, but it feels like 14 at Christmas time because that's so much money in presents. Uh, there's just a lot of pressure to like decorate your house cool. I remember one time I just really didn't decorate great and Asher was a little kid and we were driving looking at Christmas lights and he literally was like six years old and we pulled up in front of like a nice one and he just looks over and he goes, you know, 
Must be a special dad living in that house. <laughs> like mocking me, and I'm like, listen, I am buying you presents. Or, oh. I just like this holiday, but I don't hate Christmas. My heart has changed. Um, but this is not about whether or not Dave likes Christmas or not. Or Jonathan is Jim Carrey the Grinch. Today is supposed to be, this is the first day of Advent. This is a litur- liturgical season that Christians across all, all the denominations for a long time have been like digging through this and celebrating. And it, it puts you in a reverent state. Look, we've decorated with the lights. We did the, the candle. This is the Advent candle we're gonna be talking about today, that candle of hope. But we named our, uh, our series, Derek came up with this. I thought this was awesome. It's called Hail Gladdening Light. And it's from unarguably because they found no others, the oldest Christian hymn ever written. Um, Even in the fourth century, it was already considered to be ancient. It was that old. Uh, They they would do these liturgical type things that became Advent by lighting these candles. They were called lighting of the lamps in and around the catacombs uh, and and near the the, the tomb of Jesus. And it symbolized his his light, uh, his eternal light of Jesus. I wanna read it to you. Uh, just with that in mind, it's just, it's just so cool that Christians for 2,000 years have been saying this every Christmas season. It's really neat. It's called um, Phos Hilarion, which actually means hilarious light. It's, it goes like this. Hail glad- gladdening light of his pure glory poured. Who is the immortal father, heavenly blessed, holiest of holies, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now we come to the sun's hour of rest and the lights of evening around us shine. We hymn the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit divine. Worthiest are thou at all times to be sung with undefiled tongue, Son of our God, giver of life alone. Therefore, in all the world, thy glories, Lord, thine own. Amen, that's so cool. Jesus is the light. And he, just like Rob read, it was awesome. There was darkness in the world and the light is shining. And uh, there's hope in this kind of thing. And I wanna, you know, there's a lot of things you get up here, preacher guy stuff. Like I got all kinds of weird problems. Like I almost left my paper clip on my seat, but it's like a blankie now. If I don't have my paper, I got, you know, cause you get nervous, you know, you're supposed to get up here and preach. And I'm like, well, what if I need my paper clip and I left it on my seat? I can't ask for it in the middle of preaching. Cause it's like, this is a heavy weight to get up here. Derek will tell you or anyone else that preaches. Like, you're supposed to talk about Jesus, but you're also talking about, man, life, we're humans. and Life is hard. And there is, what, darkness uh, in the land of the living sometimes, isn't there? Like Rob, Rob was, was reading. But, you know, I really want to make much of Jesus today on talking about hope, how he, we sang it. He is a living, our living hope. I want to make a lot of hope. Of, uh, uh, just glorify him today. This morning, I came in at like 7.50 and he was in the first service, but Jason Venn uh, was in the parking lot cleaning up trash. Uh, he's an anchor here and he was out there picking up, getting things set up. And uh, we came in and we always have a pre-service gathering when we pray uh, for you and, and ask for the spirit of God to come. And he prayed this prayer. This guy was just a little bit go out there picking up trash and he, he just prayed, God, may our desires for you be above all other desires in this world. And he's right. And that's what we should be thinking about today. I wanna encourage you, let's, let's, let's think about who Jesus is and the hope uh, that he gives us. Uh, but we're gonna talk about hope. That's what we're gonna explore today, the hope candle. It's also known as the prophecy candle. Rob read it. It comes from those passages in Isaiah because it's the prophecies that foretell the first coming of Jesus as the child born unto us 
and the second coming of Jesus when he comes as the line of Judah and creates a everlasting heavenly kingdom, right? Um, it's awesome stuff, but how do you define, we're talking about hope, how do you define hope? What is hope, you know? Like if you think about it, we're all really comfortable with hope, every one of us. We hope all the time. Like, do I really need to like Webster dictionary it? It's like, we, every day on some level, we are all functioning in hope. Like, even if you have a bad day, how do you go to bed? You lay down and what do you think? You're like, today's been a bad day. I hope tomorrow is a better day, right? Because what's worse than being hopeless? Hopelessness is the worst. I mean, it's despair. So we, we get good, especially when things are not going good, at trying to hope for better things. We're always hoping for happiness, hoping for, hoping for a good life, hoping for this. We're very comfortable with hope, but we all come at it from different ways, don't we? Like the way that we tackle uh, hope is, is not all the same. Like there, there's a couple of ways that, uh, that you can do this. I mean, different, it's different day to day, time to time, moment to home, moment, you know, we, we have some internal ways that we hope. God, religion, how do you, do you have hope? Do you have faith in, in God? Uh, do you believe in, in, in him? Jobs, vocations, we have a lot of hope in our, our, our identity and what we do and how we make money. Hope, we hope in other people, which is a huge mistake. Don't do that. They really dis- are gonna disappoint you. Just kidding. Don't say that from the stage, Dave. Circumstances, we hope for like better circumstances in life. Um, is that me? It sounds like someone's scratching the back of my head. <laughs> Let's switch it out. Because I don't want anybody scratching my head. Right. The itching is gone. Great. Um, circumstances, right? Like, you hope for better circumstances. We're, hope is not really that hard for the human race. We do this. We just subconsciously do it, you know? But what about some external things uh, that we hope for? They're similar. We hope for a long life, right? And hopes and dreams. Like, no one's in here is like, I just hope I make it to 22 and that's it. No, you're like, I wanna get all the way to 110 and like, you're just hoping that you live so long. Like, no one, right? We all, we, we wanna live a long life. That's an easy one and maybe a dumb one. Health. Right, we all wanna be healthy and good looking and be super fit and look awesome in all of our clothes. You know, no one's like hopes to be like frumpy. I'm like, I'd just be great, I'll be fine with frumpy today, you know? Nobody wants frumpy. We are hoping for health and fitness and good life, you know? And if you're lacking that in your life, you can go to CrossFit Jacks and they will get you dialed in. Um, how about this one, wealth? We all hope for money. No one in here is like, well, I just need just enough to get by and I'll be happy forever. You're a liar. You want to have lots of extra. We all do. Uh, safety and fun. You know, we all want to be safe. Nobody likes to be unsafe unless you're an adrenaline junkie and you like surf 50 foot waves or you jump out of airplanes. You got some issues uh, if you're into that kind of thing. I'm just kidding. I'm a fireman. We go into burning buildings. It's the most adrenaline junky thing you can do. Um, it's very scary and very exciting. Uh, safety fun. You just want to have uh, fun, right? You're hoping to be fun and enjoy your hobbies, especially be good at your hobbies. Like you're really hoping that you're going to play golf uh, this afternoon, and like every shot is gonna just be exactly where you want it. You know, like you're hoping, but chances are that hope will die because golf is super hard. Um, we just wanna be happy. We, I mean, at the end of the day, we're hoping that maybe we can just make it through like a whole day and be mostly happy. How about that one? Isn't that just the craziest thing about being a person in the skin and this flesh is, like you could be happy at like 8.30 in the morning and by like 
8.48, you're like angry, like, oh, you know, like something's happened. The Jaguars played in London and lost. And you're like, oh, my God, this day is ruined if you're a big Jaguar fan or whatever. It's like the ebbs of flows of happiness and hoping that some, somehow we'll make it through one of them and be like 60% pretty good. We hope in that. It's crazy to me sometimes, man. We just, you know, ultimately, what are we really hoping for? We're hoping not to what? Be in the darkness like we read in Isaiah. You know, we don't want to be in the land of the valley of shadow of death looming over us, but we do sometimes, don't we? We're just boiling it down, trying to avoid the darkness, avoid suffering, and ultimately, the one thing that none of us can escape, we're trying to avoid death. We're all going to die, right? And so, we have a lot of things that we hope for on, in, on the earth, but if all there is is this, I mean, what am I really hoping for? I mean, I gotta do what? Enter spirituality. I'm hoping for a life after this one, the afterlife. So then we begin to hope for a heaven. We get to hope for something bigger, an eternity bigger than what we see now because all the things here begin to decay. That's why we get Botox and all those kind of things. We're trying to avoid, no one laughed at the Botox joke? Ah, see, you don't mention it and it would have been funnier. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like we're just, we're trying to avoid it. And the problem is, and this is the biggest problem of this whole thing in this scripture, and we're gonna dig into that scripture in a minute, is 43 years I've been alive, I have not been able to get away from dealing with the darkness. It's always looming. It just, this world includes darkness, it includes suffering, and no matter how much I try to avoid it, I still experience it, and so do you guys. Like, we, we can get up here and just hope in Jesus and just be happy and go Jags and go buy Christmas presents. I could just skip on to it and we could read the thing and we could pretend, but it's, it's not like that, is it? This, this life is hard. There's things come on us even in the middle of times where we should be happy and we're just dealing with darkness and death and suffering. I just had a buddy, he called, he actually texted on Thursday night. It was Friday, I was coming here to work on my sermon. It was Thursday night of Thanksgiving, uh, and he texts, and he said, so in the, this, just this year alone, all right, his dad passed away. His wife's aunt, who was basically like a second mother to, him, to her, passed away. They were very close, and just in the last two days, uh, his daughter's best friend, his 20-year-old daughter's best friend died. And so it's like, here we are, Thanksgiving, trying to be thankful. We got all this piled on, and he literally texted me uh, and some other friends of ours. He lost his dad, aunt's passed away, daughter's best friend's gone. And he said, I don't know how I'm supposed to navigate this much grief and darkness. He was right. But what am I supposed to say to him, you know? Like, I could give him the standard, like, well, you know, Jesus, you know, Sorry for your law. I mean, what do you say? Like, do I just skip past it and just be, hey, be in hope, man? I could do the cop-out thing, but I mean, how do we deal with this grief? How do we deal with this stuff? Every one of you in this room has some story that you could, you could share where you've done, this has happened to you, where you've dealt with the darkness, right? And you could say the same kind of thing. How do we be in hope? We light the candle in our hearts of hope. How do we, how do we be in hope with the darkness being all around us. Just like the scripture said, it's so cool. Like, it just feels sometimes like it's looming around us in this valley. Life can feel like a valley. This last year, there's been times where I felt like I was in the valley with stuff I was dealing with. 
And I've talked about some of that up here before, but you know, this is church, right? And Derek has already said this, today's about Jesus. And see, we can define hope the earthly way, or we can let scripture define it for us. If, and I'm gonna sh- and we're gonna go through it. If you look at those verses that Rob just read, the Bible defines for us what hope is. And for us, the Christian, the believer, hope is a person. And that person is Jesus. And he's saying, put your hope in me, even in the darkness, even as you walk through the valley of the darkness, a light is gonna shine in the midst of it, and I'm the light. Jesus is calling to us. This is, the, this is the birth. It literally shows the birth of the gospel, and then it shows you what it looks like when it's fulfilled in these verses. It's really cool. Jesus is our hope. This is the birth of Advent. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter nine and keep it open. I'm gonna put a bunch of other scriptures up here. I want you to just walk with me through these passages and keep it open because you can see how God himself defines hope. And remember, what we're about to read, these are Jesus' words thousands of years ago. He's the God. He knew that this was coming and he knew he was gonna be on the earth one day and he knew this is what it was gonna look like. So follow it with me. Isaiah 9, verse one and two. The people walking in darkness have seen what a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, what has happened, a, a light has dawned. For us, a child is b- born, and to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and the government will be on his shoulders. Do you hear that? This is, this is the birth of, of the, the, the Christian life. This is the birth for you and I of Jesus and what he does when he comes into my life. I'm gonna show you. What does government mean? Jesus, I meet Jesus, and what did he do? It's not that he's just gonna be the government. He's not, Jesus didn't come just to take my sins. Yeah, we say that, oh, Jesus died on the cross. No, Jesus came not only to take my sins, but he came to take the government of my life. That's why he's called Lord. His lordship implies ownership. He takes ownership of my sin, like they're his, right? We, we understand that. He takes, it's the exchange. He takes my sin and he pays the penalty, but he also takes the darkness. He also takes the suffering. He also takes the grief. He puts them all on himself. He becomes my Lord. He takes government and ownership over me. This is how we first meet Jesus. He doesn't just take my sins. He takes the government of my life. And that's what the cross says. So now imagine Jesus knows these words. We're reading them today. And as he's beginning to do his ministry and explain his good news that he saves and nothing else can, he starts to say things like this. This isn't just a hope for the afterlife. When you meet Jesus, there's hope for true peace and, and, and life right now. John chapter 10, 10. Now think about what we just read. John 10, this is a very famous verse. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Does that not describe darkness? Like doesn't that sound like the darkness comes to destroy, to kill, to steal, and destroy? What does Jesus say? I've come that you may have life and have it full. He's meaning now. Even in the midst of the darkness, this isn't just some blind hope that you're gonna live in heaven one day. He comes in, he takes ownership of your life, you make him Lord, and he starts to do this in you. I've come that you have full life. This is my desire for you. Or how about this one? Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take what? My yoke And what does he do? He takes that other yoke off of us, the one that's full of sin, despair, grief, and he puts his yoke 
on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the beginning of how we meet Jesus, those that you that have given your, your life. He, we come to him, he takes those things, he takes ownerships of me. He's my Lord now, he, dicks, he dictates what I do. And he is gonna start to lead me in a certain type of way. And he's starting to give me rest now and peace now. Keep tracking with me. He's, the government's on his shoulders. He takes ownership and what happens? I, I give him my life, I start to follow Jesus. And what does he do? He begins to guide me. He begins to counsel me. He starts to be give me advice, but not just any vice, advice. The most wonderful counselor. Look how the Bible describes, describes his, 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 uh, his counsel and his guidance to me as wonderful. There's never been anyone that I've ever known like Jesus that whose his disposition towards me has no manipulation. Because what do we do? We manipulate each other. Even people that we love, we'll, we'll manipulate because we're positioning to get things from time to time. Don't do it, but not Jesus. His, his disposition towards me is perfect. No one has ever loved me like Jesus. He only has my best interest in mind. He only desires to give me this hope in him. And so as I've made him Lord, and as I begin to walk with him, he counsels me, he walks with me, and he gives me life and advice. There's never been anyone like Jesus who only has my best interest in mind, and his desire is to give me real wholeness. That's what the cross was all about, that we may have been dead in sin, but he's going to make us whole and alive. This is who he is. This is the gospel right here on Christmas. It's so cool, man. I love this stuff. What could be more wonderful than Jesus? And it gets better. So now we're walking life. He, the govern, I've given him control of my life. He's the great, wonderful counselor that guides me and walks with me through the narrow path of Christianity. And what happens? The darkness comes. Life gets difficult. I'm beat down. I'm struggling. I feel like I don't have any strength left. And what does he do? He becomes the mighty God who fights for me. He shows up on, on, on my behalf and he fights. He's mighty. Even when I, like scripture says, I am now weak, I, the life is wearing me down, he becomes strong. He's the mighty God. This is what it's like when we follow Jesus. He never promised that we wouldn't have trouble. In fact, he said, you're still gonna have the darkness, but a light is dawning, and I'm gonna one day eradicate it. We'll get to that, I'm about to get too excited, sorry. He's the mighty God. That's the thing that we, he, that's the response, like it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, very famous verse. What then shall I say in response to these things? This is our response to the darkness. This is our response to the grief. This is what like living active hope in Jesus will cause us to say. It will say, if God is for us, who can be against us? I don't even need to yell that one. It, it, it speaks for itself. God is for me. He is mighty on my behalf. His counsel is wonderful. He loves me, and he's taken my life, and he's promised me a heavenly home, but he promises me peace now. Keeps on getting better. You ready for this one? He takes my life. He counsels me. He's strong when I'm weak. He's the everlasting father. This is what he becomes as I walk this journey with Jesus. He becomes the unchangeable, unshakable father of my life. Now, there's two things in life that are probably the most awesome, especially if you're a little kid. Number one, a good mom. Nothing better. Good mom. Number two, good dad. You ever been around a, a dad that's a good one? He's just strong. He shows up. He's protective. He laughs. He takes care of his kids. He guides them. There's nothing greater. 
Right, but men, we live in a fallen world, and a lot of us, that has not been your experience. Your dad has mistreated you. Your dad has left you. Your dad has, has uh, let you down. Maybe your dad has even abused it, and he's bad. But Jesus said, look, when you come to me, I become the one, dad, the everlasting, incorruptible father that will never leave you. Though your earthly dad might leave, I, I'm always going to be here. I'm going to show you the Father. How many times did Jesus say that? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the one. And no matter how bad your darkness gets, ready? How much sin, no matter how far you walk away from me. Remember his stories. Jesus wrote this, but remember his parables. If you turn around and take one step back towards me, I will run to you. It's the story of the prodigal son. No matter how far you have fallen into sin, if you turn and you come back towards me, if you walk that path, I will run to you because I love you. This is the story of the gospel, and he's revealing it to us in just these simple prophecies. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. Keeps on getting better. How about this one? Hope you got your Bibles open. Prince of Peace. So this everlasting father becomes what? The prince of peace. I mean, ultimately, you get old enough and you live a certain amount of life and at the end of the day, you're like, I just want some peace. Forget being happy. Forget having enough money. I just, if I could just not stress, if I could shake this anxiety. Sarah got this, this watch for me as an anniversary gift. We just been celebrated 22 years. I love it. It's a solar surfing watch. It's so cool. But it, it helps me with my anxiety. Like I, 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 spin, I spin the thing, I take it off, and it's like, it's, stress, it's like a stress reducer because, look, I live a stressful life sometimes. I got kids. I got problems. I got things that are always on me. And I just, peace would just be great. Peace. Well, what does this say? He's the prince of peace. If he's a prince, what is he? He's royalty. He's Royalty implies authority. When I give my life to Jesus and he takes hold of me and he begins to counsel me, he starts to show me, hey, peace is mine. And I give it to whoever I want to. I rule over it. You don't have to conjure it up anymore. You don't have to find unhealthy ways to try to deal with the stress. Just come to me. And I give peace. In fact, the Bible says he gives peace that passes all earthly knowledge or understanding. Peace belongs to this king. Peace belongs to Jesus. And there's no one that can give what Jesus can. He's the royal ruler of peace. He's awesome. Keep going. This just keeps on getting better, I swear. Justice and righteousness, it says. He's gonna cause a justice and righteousness. Every... Uh, model that's tried to win Miss Universe ever. What is her greatest wish? World peace, right? Like they say it every time, and I'm with them. You're right, I, we all want that. And isn't that kind of like what we are dealing with in the world these days? Like everybody's trying to say, this is justice. And it's like the line somehow keeps moving. Oh, no, no, this is right, you're wrong. And it's just bouncing around. But internally, we all want things to be made right. We do want justice. We do want righteousness. And Man, only Jesus can actually give it. He's the plumb line. All of the hope of history is, in fact, hinged on the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. I mean, in Revelations 21.5, the older I get, the more I hold for peace. This becomes one of my most favorite, favorite Bible verses. It says this. It's so awesome. And he said, he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. 
who says, Jesus has promised, I'm gonna make all things new. I'm gonna, the, cro- the crooked paths, I'm gonna make them straight. The pain, the grief, I'm gonna swallow them up forever. I'm gonna make all things new. And then he says this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. Gosh, he's gonna make things right again. He's gonna wipe away every tear from every eye. And he starts in me now and he walks with me and he guides me and he's strong for me and he, he's the one that can give me peace. I don't have to cover, conjure up my own peace anymore. It's, I can find it in a source. I've got an everlasting dad that will do anything to forgive me and love me. This is Jesus. And how does it end? It's so cool. He will do anything to protect us. The Father has zeal. It says the zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. What an awesome way to describe the last moments of Jesus' earthly time. What is zeal another word for? Passion. What's Jesus' death on the cross known as the passion of the Christ? His zeal, by, his, by giving his life, he accomplished all these things for me now and forever. The zeal of the Lord. So awesome. I just want to make much of him today because this is what he does. This is what he looks like. This is how he's defined hope as a person. My hope is in Jesus. He's alive. We sing it. He's a living hope. Jesus rose from the dead. Could it be true? I think it is 100% true. And when you hope in Jesus, like when, when you stop hoping for earthly things to go well and you start putting your hope and your faith and your life in Jesus, it does something to you. It, starts, it has a sanctifying, cleansing effect on the human being. It's just the way we're built. And I've seen it. It's happened to me. I've seen it in other people's. I've seen it in some of you. Some of you that are new to the faith, I've already watched this hope in you, the hope of glory begin to change you and cleanse you and sanctify you. It does something to the heart. 1 John 3 says this, 3.3, all who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. It changes us. And that's the miracle to me of this whole rebirth. You know, I had a buddy that, I mean, if you knew anything about him, Everything would point that Jesus is real just because of how radically he saved. All of his other desires were for drugs, alcohol, wild living, uh, get everything out of life for myself. And then when he got saved, he still was very passionate and, and, and raw. But it's like there's undeniable. How could you have this change in your heart and in your soul like this? It has to be the hope of glory himself, Jesus. Hoping in Jesus even changes our desires, like Jason Venn was saying. Desires in our hearts, Isaiah 26, 8. What do we do? We're always waiting. Hope is waiting. It's an expectation of something we don't possess yet, but we hope that we do. It's the waiting for something to be fulfilled. Isaiah 26, 8 says this. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts for his glory. Today's about his name and his renown. It's not about gifts. It's not whether you like Christmas or not. <laughs> but even though we like all these things, it's about Jesus. It's about his name being glorified. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you given government the control, the lordship of your life to him? Because he wants to offer you peace. He wants to cleanse your sin. This is the gospel of Jesus. He's true. His word is trustworthy and true. And he wants to plant in your heart and in mine the hope that's alive that says one day he's gonna make all things new.
This is the hope of glory. Hope now and hope forever. My niece, uh, Ashley, is 28, and she just got married last week. And um, she was like my first kid. So I've been, loved Sarah forever, feels like. 17, and she had, her older brother had kids, and they were young. So these were like the first little kids I'd ever been around, like my first kids. And Ashley was so cute. The Mercer blonde gene is very strong because uh, they're all blonde like that too. Even though my daughter's got a little bit of brown and reddish, Asher's like, like blonde. He looks just like Sarah. Uh, but Ashley's just super blonde. And even when she was a little kid, she was like so fun, very passionate, crazy, uh, ride horses and, and, and four-wheelers even when she was little. And this was like a big day, you know, like, and I was just looking forward to it. And to see her just with losing Sarah's mom, Celeste, it was like exciting to do this fun thing as a family for Ashley. And uh, Sarah, believe it or not, so we both did it. She wanted both of us to do it. And Sarah did the preacher part way better than me. She gave the little pre-mini sermon you do at weddings and she crushed it. It was so much better than me. And this is gonna come to a sh- as a shock to you. Uh, but as Ashley began to walk down the aisle, I began to cry uncontrollably. <laughs> Which you laugh, but I was like, she demanded before that I do cry. And I'm like, she goes, you have to cry, Uncle Dave. It makes it way better. You have to. And I was like, I don't think you can just, I'm not faking this, Ash. And now I'm a little offended that you're trying to tell me what to do. I'm 43 years old. I don't think I'm going to cry, you know. And I really was like, I really was like, I'm not going to get it. But dude, as soon as she stepped out there, she looked like that little blonde five-year-old again. And I was going to be like, oh my God, Ashley's getting married. I said that on the microphone. I was like, I have no shame. Um, But I just, it was really fun. And and there's in Ephesians 5 are like these instructions for for husband and wife. And I read part of it in, uh, from the message. I want to read some of it to you because I just, I liked it. I thought it was beautiful. This is Ephesians 5. Listen to these words. They're so poetic. It says, Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything that he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. Just like that. It's so awesome. But that wedding, uh, being at the wedding and, and going through all that and talking about hope, I thought about this morning. And what is more hopeful than a wedding, right? Like, you don't go to them and they're not like, wah, wah, well, maybe they'll make it. Hope they don't get divorced in a year. No, it's like there's this expectation. It's like, here it is. Like, uh, there's so much hope at a wedding, right? And what are you hoping for? Like, this is it, true love. They found it. Like, it's real for them, you know, like, bam, true love, and they're going to get married, they're married, and they're going to be successful and happy and not have any kids until exactly when they went to so they can go on every vacation with no children before they want, no unexpected surprises, and they're just going to build that beautiful house with the white picket fence and the two and a half kids and half a dog and just live happily ever after. It's just full of hope, right? And uh, that's the thing, so, you know, I was doing some, I'd done some research. I actually called Sarah when I was reading about this because it made me think of her, me, me going through this. So when a young Jewish young man wanted to marry a young girl, there was this whole tradition that they did. And what they would do is um, if, you, if you wanted to marry the girl, you, you, you had to give her something that was yours, that was valuable. It, it had to be valuable to you. It didn't have to be very expensive, but it had to be something that belonged to you, not your dad. And what you would do, and this is where the tradition of the ring starts, you and your dad would go to the girl's house 
This is in ancient Israel, all right? And you would bring this, this thing of value and you'd bring a cup of wine. And so what would happen was in ancient Israel, they would, they would live in these big, like, Families would grow in one space. A lot of, you know, they was rural and, uh, you know, they was different than today. And so, you know, the, a man and wife would have a house and their kids would get, grow up and get married. And the dad, they would build little rooms and houses in, on his house. And it would, be, it would become like this big community, this big family. And so anyway, back to, uh, you go to the girl and, and you offer her the ring. And if she accepted, um, you would hand her the cup of wine and she would take a sip and then you would take a sip, and then you would say something to her, this promise. Um, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, it's crazy to me that how cool the Bible can be sometimes. And we just, it was so easy to read the same thing over and over, and you just never picked it up before. But he would hand her the cup, and this is what he would say. It's so beautiful. And, and, he, and she drinking, he drinking, he'd say, In my father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm gonna leave. And I'm going to go prepare one for you and I. But I'm going to come back, I promise. And we're going to get married. And we're going to have a celebration. And you're going to be where I am. Man, those are Jesus' words to us. This is the hope of the Christian faith. Look with me in um, John 14. This is the hope we have in Jesus in the afterlife. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, but you believe in God, believe also in me. You ready? In my father's house, there are many rooms. If there weren't, I would not have told you so that I'm going to this place to prepare for you to come with me. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am so you can be with me. We always think about being in heaven and living in mansions or whatever, but Jesus wasn't talking about that. He was talking about a wedding. He was talking about the great marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a day when he really does wipe the tears from all faces. And we will sit at the great feast of God, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it will be true. And think about those first moments after you give Jesus your life. And what do you do? You celebrate communion. And what does Jesus give us? We give him our life. We, we promise Jesus you can have it. And what does he do? He said, here, you take this cup. This is my blood of what? The new covenant, a new relationship. And I promise I'm gonna go prepare a place for us and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna get you. Just talking about a wedding. Our hope is in a person and that person is Jesus. And one day he will come back and he will take us to be where he is. There's no one like us, like him. Got papers everywhere in my paper clip. Will you stand with me, God? We love you. God, there's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one that's ever loved like you. There's no one that has a disposition towards me like you. You love me and you gave your life for me and nothing says that I love you and that the Father will, will come after you like the cross of Jesus Christ. God, may our hope be in you today, God. And I pray for every person in this room. God, if they're here and, and, and they, they need some hope, they're in despair, they're in the darkness, they're in the shadow, they're dealing with something so hard. God, I pray that you make yourself known. God, open our hearts and may, may we be about your name and your renown in Jesus.